Hello, adventurers. You have found Homebrew Heels, a Nat One Life podcast. I am one of your hosts, hostesses, Amanda. <laughs> My sister Sarah and I will be talking you through some of the Nat Ones we've rolled in the medical health areas of our life. We are not medical professionals by any means, although I personally have watched quite a bit of Grey's Anatomy. We will be sharing our experiences, how we're advocating for our health, what the experience is like in all its details, good and the gross, the cost of the adventure, and most importantly, how we are working to stay happy and motivated through it all. So thank you for being willing to be the very first person that we talked to about mental health. You and I have had conversations at length about mental health and different things in our lives that we've experienced. But what made you want to pursue or what made you want interested in wanting to talk about mental health with us? Um, I think we all we all go through like seasons in life, right? And the pandemic has been a very unique season for all of us. Yes. And I think that my depression through the pandemic has been more difficult for me to navigate than any other period in my life. And it, I mean, it could be because I've, as you know, I've had quite a, quite a few big things happen, you know, in right. a short period of time. but, um, you know, the pandemic is, is really a big one. And so I know that if I, as somebody that consider you know I consider myself I've got functioning depression you know like most people don't know um and so if if I'm struggling this bad as somebody that you know I like to feel like I've got a grasp on it I can only imagine people that you know don't have a grasp on it or don't have a counselor or aren't taking meds like how they must feel Mm -hmm. and um you know it's it's not something that we talk about and it when we are feeling mentally negative i oftentimes think that it's difficult for those that we love to receive that because they feel that they're a part of it yeah they're creating it in some way and so mental illness kind of creates this clear divide between you and the people that you love, which is why you hide your depression because you don't want it to impact your relationships. Right, you don't want that barrier to be there. I think it's because it's something that I haven't fully figured out how to navigate yet. And so maybe other people have better ideas, you know? And so I've reached the point where I'm like, suffering in silence isn't doing me any good and it's not doing the people around me any good. One of the things that Sarah and I really want to do with our podcast in general is normalize some of these conversations. Yeah. I doubt that there's a single person on this planet that has that can that can honestly say they've never experienced depression mm. or anxiety, even if it's for a short term, a short mm. period of time. It's just really interesting because so much of what you just described happens internally. Mm hmm. And by not communicating it, we can't really figure out how to get past it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. Yeah. And that's where my functioning depression has become so functional. Uh-huh. It's um, 
you learn coping mechanisms, whether they're healthy or not. And one of my coping mechanisms is to compartmentalize. Yeah. Um, so by compartmentalizing it, you have to put labels on things, right? And so sometimes there are things that won't fall into one label or another. They're kind of gray. And you then have to kind of go through an explanation with yourself as to why it would fit in one category versus the other. And that that is really difficult for me in determining what box things go in, because a lot of times, you know, something should go in a box of, you know, this is an unacceptable behavior, like I shouldn't tolerate this. But then as I process through it, I'm like, oh, so and so is going through X, Y, Z, yada, yada, yada. If I was in their shoes, I could see that I would do this same thing. So rather than that being unacceptable, I'll just put it in the, you know, let it slide box or whatever. Put it and, in the enable the behavior box. <laughs> I mean, essentially. And, um, you know, that started from childhood, um, mm. you know, with with my family and the dynamics of my, you know, I, I considered myself the easy child. Mm-hmm. Um, I did everything that I could to be the easy child. So I constantly was filtering things through, you know, good kid, bad kid, good kid, bad kid, good kid, bad kid. And it never really allowed me to find who I was as a person because I was constantly living for the expectations of my parents. Yeah. Um, and now I'm in my 30s and I'm trying to find who I am as a person and I'm having to do so while all these people that, you know, love me are like, this is so different. Why are things changing? And that creates more mental struggle because now your relationships are being impacted by it. And that's exactly what you didn't want. Right. Yeah. So when you, you keep using the term functional depression was this something that you came to on your own or is this something that you were told like how did you come to like use this term? Myself. Yep. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um I you know I've heard it like used before. I've never really like known the actual like clinical diagnosis for it, mm-hmm. but for me Basically, functional depression is somebody that is actively like battling depression all the time, but they they hide it like Mm -hmm. you don't know it um, and it doesn't impact their everyday life as in the the stereotypical ways that people imagine depression manifests itself. You know, like I still get out of bed every day and I still shower and I still get ready. And that's kind of normally one of the first things that people look for in a depressive person. Sure. It's like, right. well, are you know, are, are you saying fuck it to the world? And as long as you're not saying fuck it to the world, then people aren't concerned. Then you're fine. Right. right. And it's interesting because, you know, Ashley and I had talked about this before and she used that term. And it, it's so spot on because if you think about a functional alcoholic, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. drink all fucking day. Right. They right. are drunk all day but they're still able to they can function still because they've learned like or their body has come to some kind of rhythm of like okay if I drink this much I can still function and if I do this and so for depression obviously it's not a substance abuse issue but then it's like even harder because it's internal and you know Ashley and I were talking the other day and um I was having one of those days where I couldn't get out of bed like Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here and I was like, I know I'll get out. 
I know I will. And this is what the, this is mm-hmm. what functional depression feels like. You're laying there, your alarm goes off and you're like, I know I'm going to get out of bed. I just really don't want to. Yeah. I'm really that depressed, that sad, that like not motivated to do life, but I'll do life because I have responsibilities and I have blah, blah, blah. And so you're kind of like floating your way through your life as opposed to actually living it. Yeah. So, and do you have something that kind of like, um, so like Amanda mentioned responsibilities and whatnot, but is there anything specific that makes it not necessarily better, but motivates you to function and not stay in bed? Um, <laughs> I'm finding them <laughs> slowly. Nice. Okay. It's been hard through the pandemic and it's hard um, in yeah. Seattle because so I moved here with the uh, mindset that I was going to get out and be social and meet people and do all this shit and it was gonna be great. And so I moved here and my best friends were wonderful and they let me you know, live with them and then we wound up getting a bigger place together. And so once we finally get settled, everything's great. Like we're mo- we're unpacking everything. Like we're finally ready to go be social. It's coming summertime. It's March. It's warming up. And then the fucking pandemic hits. Oh, dang. Okay. <laughs> no social for you. Right. And so it's like um, I went from this, you know, relationship where towards the end, I feel like I just needed social interaction. And then I was running my own business for a year where I was basically isolated in my garage and I just needed friends. And so I'm, you know, I went back to the corporate world to have like social engagement and then just, you know, so it's like, I felt like I just needed all of these things and I kept making these life changes to try to bring them to my life. Yeah. Universe just kept fucking taking it. Mm -hmm. And so I finally got to a point where I was like, this is obviously for a reason like I'm gonna have to sit in this I'm gonna have to figure it the fuck out because one of the things I've never been good at is how to be alone yeah like period like with my own time with my own mind how to be alone I just I'm not good at it and so I've really been working with my counselor on things that I can do by myself inside that are still emotional outlets finding an emotional outlet kind of gives me something to be excited for, even if it's small. And so I was really torn between buying um, an electric drum set for indoors, because music has always been an emotional outlet for me, uh, or buying some roller skates that would be like more active, whatever. And so I decided to go the route of the roller skates. And um, it is something that it's like a community to belong to, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's people to talk to it about. There's groups on Facebook for skating. It's kind of like a foot in the door for like social events and things that I can do socially by myself once COVID ends. Because that's another thing I'm not great at is like going to a party by myself. Like hate that. It's awkward. Whereas going to like a beginner skate meetup where I'm not really forced to interact with anybody. But if I'm like, hey, I'm feeling like this person might be cool. I can approach them. So I thought it was a good way to set myself up for like a segue into some social interactions. And it keeps me active, which now that I'm at a desk job, it's easy for me to sit at home and just do nothing all day. So that's what I found. Um, And I'm sure during the rainy months, I'll probably still wind up 
buying a drum set. I mean, I don't know. We'll, f- we'll, f- we'll, we'll see. But yeah. uh, your birthday's yeah. right around the corner, girl. So I'm I, I the problem is, is finding somewhere to put it. That's the big problem. Like they make those ones that like roll up and stuff too now, though. No, I want like a real one. You like want a, a nice one. Like, like I already know which one I want. Yeah, it's just nice. about, like finding a spot to put it. Yeah. Sense. Yeah. Um, and I, I smoke a lot of weed. So yeah. Uh, yeah, help. we're gonna we're gonna talk all about cannabis because Sarah and I've already delved into it for the gut issues, how much yeah. it helps us in terms of that. But mental health. Yeah. I don't know what I'd do without cannabis in my life. So. Yeah. Um. So you mentioned a counselor. Have you been um diagnosed with any mental health conditions um officially? Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely have depression, anxiety, um, small amount of OCD, nothing that like requires medication. Um, yeah. I'm just very intricate, I guess. Detail oriented. Yes. Certain, it's funny because certain things like my OCD hones in on other things my OCD couldn't care less about, you know? So one thing is, is like clothes on the floor. Yeah. Like most people would be like, you have OCD. How the fuck can you have clothes everywhere? And I'm like, I, it doesn't bother me. But right. having too much shit on my dresser and having my dresser look cluttered will will send me through the roof. You know, so like it's interesting because um, so your anxiety disorder is it generalized anxiety disorder? Do you know? So yes, for the okay. most part, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, That's what mine is too. There's there's a like a, I've got like some paranoia in there because of like my I, I'm a what ifer. Yeah. So um it like creates levels of paranoia within my anxiety. Yeah. But for the most part, it's pretty generalized. Yeah. Um, and you had mentioned panic attacks earlier. Do you have a panic just a panic attack disorder? Because that's actually a thing. Um, do you have them, I guess, frequently enough that you have like medication for them or anything like that? I did, yes. Um, and if I had a regular doctor over here, I probably still would. Mm-hmm. The problem is at the at the time that majority of this was coming out, I was with an employer that had really shitty health care. Yeah. And financially, I couldn't afford to get my gut issues diagnosed and my mental health issues diagnosed, you know. So there isn't, I, there hasn't been a whole lot of medical treatment behind it, I guess, if that yeah. kind of answers the question. Um, it totally does. We do a whole segment on financial impacts yeah. to um, pursuing these answers because in the United States, it's fucked up. Yeah. It's yeah. seriously it's some fucked up shit. Um, and we live in Washington. So if you don't make any money, it's awesome. Like you have great health insurance. Sarah mm-hmm. lives in Idaho. They do not have social programs like Washington does. The impact of the, your functioning depression specifically on your body and your relationships. How did that? That's a that's an ongoing battle. Um, because with so with one of my aspects of my my depression is I never want to be a burden to anybody, and therefore I create. Uh, being the easy person in everybody's life. And so I am always putting everybody else's well-being before my own, everybody yeah. else's wants and needs before my yeah. own. And um I do it in kind of like this aspect of like, well, it'll come back to me. Um it'll come back to me. And that's not that's not really a healthy expectation because then whenever it doesn't, I get resentful. Yeah. And so it's but it's not something that's like 
openly communicated, right? I'm not like, hey, I'm doing this for you with the expectation that ultimately you're going to do it back. Right. Um, and so it's been hard to balance expectations and boundaries, right? Like, because I've lived my whole life without really setting any boundaries, specifically with my family. Yeah. It, now when I'm coming to the point where like, I'm finding what I believe in and I'm finding what's important for me and who I want to be as a person and like establishing these boundaries and setting boundaries that are very contradictory to the dynamics of my family that I've always had. Um, that's been really difficult. Um, and I have always felt like my mom and I like two, like two peas in a pod. Like she's my number one. She's the top of my pyramid. Nobody will ever be more important than my mom. And vice versa. Nobody will ever be more important in my mom's life than me. Like, mm -hmm. I'm the favorite kid. We all, like, joke about it. But, but it's, like, you know. Yeah. Um, um, Actually, probably Thomas. I, I will. We'll see. He's yeah. about to become an adult, so. Thomas is a teenager right now, so right. everybody hates him. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I'm my mom's favorite and my sister's my dad's favorite. And so, um, sense. you know, whenever we specifically like political things and obviously being gay in this world, yeah. uh, living on the west side, whereas my family lives on the east side, it's very different as far as political views. For my family, I'm finding a lot of these, you know, more democratic views, but really they're just they're. OK, whenever I say socialist, I don't mean socialist as in like socialism. I mean, like as in like I like humanitarian, like I value people more than I value money. You were mentioning before that communication is something that you have to involve in order for people to understand it, either your anxiety or depression or what have you. So during COVID, I know it's a little bit different because of the situation than being quarantined and whatnot. But is that something that you're actively working on or is yeah, it more oh, difficult now? Absolutely. And I, I think it's it's easier now, but it's also um, the dynamic within my life and my family that exasperates the challenge of it. Because I've always been the easy kid in my family, um, for me to now step up and step out and be the difficult child um is there it's a very dynamic it's a shift in dynamic within my family so it's caused a lot of riff and a lot of strife and a lot of feeling of disconnection with my family because you know every time I've gone to visit this year we have had some sort of you know political or whatever conversation that sure. has ended poorly oh, okay single visit every single visit. And I think I've come, I came probably six, seven times. Um, and ultimately, you know, the last one was ending, it, it ended in my sister disowning me. Oh, and, um, it was, yeah. And it up. was, <laughs> it was, you know, it was all over, you know, politics or, you know, being gay. And that's, it's really difficult whenever, and, and this is, from like the perspective of people of color is it's very difficult to have to continuously be the person that has to educate others in your life mm -hmm. because always defending yourself 
And and I don't think anybody realizes that, um, you know, to them, it's just, oh, well, I want to understand. I'm trying to understand. And it's like, yeah, but you're trying to understand and they're trying to understand and they're trying to understand and so and so is trying to understand. And here I am having this conversation. And really, all I'm doing is arguing with everybody in my life. And I don't want to have to argue for you to give a fuck about my well-being. Yeah. You and I have talked about this is us in the past. And I'm not sure if you're caught up in watching the current season. Okay. So I can't believe like I, I can't believe you just said that because it's it perfectly illustrates this. So Randall in This Is Us. Randall. What? I've always identified with Randall. You're a Randall. I'm a Beth. Like I, fucking all the way. Like <laughs> we've always so, said that. <laughs> that's yeah, that's totally what that is. Hang but, on, before we move forward, are there spoilers? Um, there is a spoiler, but I don't think that it's a it's nothing huge. It's very okay. minor storyline. Okay. But I feel like it's a very important storyline. So yeah. the season just started on this show that Ashley and I like. And um, I really enjoy it because, and Ashley was actually the one that turned me on to watching it originally. But it takes the human experience down to the minute levels and really lets you experience it like what these people are going through. And they tackle a lot of things that people normally tackle. So okay. Randall is um black he was brought up in a family of all white people because he was adopted he's one of three so there were triplets that were supposed to be born together Mm -hmm. one of the triplets died the parents adopted him at the same time like anyway you know movie magic whatever so this episode though they bring in the pandemic that's going on uh black lives matter the the shooting everybody dying and all of this oh so it's like current it's current. Oh, nice. It's current. Okay, okay. And his sister, who's white, okay, they get to see each other for, like, one of the very first times. And she's like, I've been reaching out to you. I've been going to all the protests about, you know, fighting for black lives. Like, it matters. And she's like, I just want you to know I'm so sorry. And he goes, he straight up, because I was, like, expecting this scene to play out a certain way. It did not. I was in shock. I had to pause this scene and go talk to Paul because I was like, holy shit, my white privilege has been checked. Like, I don't even, like, so he, he, he literally asks her, what are, why are you sorry now? What are you sorry about? Right. Well, just everything that you're going through, everything that's happening in our world. And he's basically fucking like, it's been going on. Right. We have never once had this conversation our entire lives. We've been siblings for 40 fucking years and never once have we talked about the fact that I'm black and you're white. Yeah. That I'm black and my life is going to be different because, you know, he does not scream like this. But basically she starts crying and he says this line. And this is where I had to pause it. He goes, see. Right now, all I want to do is hug you. And tell you to feel better and how much I love you because you're my sister. And that it's okay. And that it's okay. But it's not. But it's not. Yeah. I paused that shit and I was like, hold up. And the big thing the big thing that he says is if I comfort you, what does that leave me with? Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing that, that nobody ever thinks of. When I'm constantly having to explain to you my gayness or why I'm fearful under the Trump administration or any of it, if I'm constantly having to explain that to you or constantly, you know, because my dad and I went through a, a big 
overcoming. Uh, before I came out, he liked to make a lot of, for lack of a better words, I hate to say this, faggot jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> it was really impactful to me. And then ultimately after I came out, he, it crushed him because he knew what he had been putting on me. Um, and so, you know, we all have these moments and I always, you know, you, you want to say it's okay. And we say it's okay because it can't be changed and we don't want to dwell on it really, right. but it's not, but it's not okay. Right. And it'll never, it'll never be okay we've forgiven and we've moved on and we've moved past it, but there's an aspect of the minorities that I think, and I feel this, I can't speak for everybody else, but I feel like there's pressure to make the majority feel comfortable around me. Yeah. Um, You know, to not be too gay, to not be too terse, to not be too, you know, to not be too anything. And that exasperates your feeling of not fitting in. And it's a self-induced feeling, right? Mm-hmm. But it exasperates it. And then on top of it, whenever you have a president that kind of puts things out that don't necessarily directly make you feel unwelcome, but like passively make you feel unwelcome and kind of point, like kind of shed light on that fact that like, yeah, you do need to do what you need to to make everybody else feel comfortable. Um, you just extra want to rebel. And eventually, like, once you feel so disconnected, you're like, fuck you. Right. Fuck you. And then that's where resentment starts. And mm-hmm. I, so it's, I see, I see why people riot. I get it. I see it. I, I, I comprehend it. If it wasn't my family that I love so dearly that I know desperately wants to support me and desperately wants to understand me, if they weren't the people that were on the other side of the table, I'd probably be rioting too you know, within my own little ecosystem. Like it's not a a grand scheme. It's, it's uh, micro, not macro. Right. Um, But, you know, for a majority of people, they they don't have a loving face that wants to hug you on the other side of the table. And that, so if I'm challenged with this, with a family that loves me and wants to understand and wants to support me, what on earth are people dealing with, with their family that doesn't at all? Yeah. Period. Well, and so, and that's what I ultimately, I want to ask you is, so you're finding, you mentioned at the very beginning that you are finding yourself, like your true self, and that you've been making all these strides and all these steps to make your true self come out and whatnot, and letting other people know, family being a big topic. What triggered that? Like, what caused you to finally, like, feel maybe not comfortable, maybe not ready necessarily, but that gave you the motivation or the inspiration to take that next step? It's like necessary. Like, you had to do it or, or yeah. Or, I mean, I can imagine some people, like, you hear those stories where they just forever stay, like, not in the closet, like, in a gay term, but they're just they're hiding away their yeah. own self like right. they never figure it out or they don't feel strong enough to ever come out like that i am like shrek i'm i have layers like an onion right. you <laughs> peel them away the layers never get Poppies have layers no a fucking onion okay make you cry <laughs> um really it was so the decline of my marriage was um, swift but slow as, as that um, we were very, it was very important to us to present a united front. 
So a lot of the things that were happening within my marriage were like a duck. They were happening under the surface and not a lot of people knew. So um, there was a real decline in my self-worth and my self-esteem and like how I valued myself um, towards the end of my marriage. And so that was kind of like the precursor for it. And then ultimately, whenever we separated, I had been running like a woodworking business out of our home. And so whenever we separated, I no longer really felt comfortable using the garage to facilitate my business. So I'm now almost 30 years old, living with my parents, unemployed, separated, nothing. Like I lost my life. I've lost my entire life. Um, and it that like it just kind of spiraled from there. You know, I spent like that was when the depression got real bad, just days in bed crying. Um, and so I knew, obviously, my bank account, I was watching the savings slowly trickle down and I knew that I was going to have to do something for work. So I was like, well, fuck it. I guess I could be a firefighter like I found this free EMT school, so yeah. I started the EMT school. Like, that was something to get me out of the house, whatever it may be. I continued to, like, decline, 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 and I was like, you know, this is toxic for me. What's was sitting here doing this is toxic. And at the time, I had been going almost every weekend over to Seattle to visit my best friends just to get out of Spokane. Um, and so every time I, like, I found myself looking forward to going to Seattle. I want to go to Seattle constantly, constantly, constantly. And so I had always been trying to, to work for a, a different company over here. Um, and so I wound up applying for this well-known company and they had an office in Spokane and they had an office over here. And I kind of like put it out into the cosmos of whatever, whatever's supposed to happen is supposed to happen. They wound up asking me if I'd be willing to move over here. And so I did. And over here, I realized like a lot, my best friends have very strong personalities. And so they were very quick to shut down like, no, you're not going to treat me like that. You're not going to treat me like that. You're not going to treat me like that. And so a lot of my like toxic coping mechanisms, I was losing them. I've lost everything in my life. Now I'm losing my coping mechanisms. <laughs> so I just kind of like crumbled to the bottom and got tired of my own bullshit. And I got tired of being the person that everybody was saying I was making them feel bad or this, that, and the other. I just got tired of hearing all of those things. And so I started going to counseling. And that was about a little over a year ago. And so I've been seeing my counselor weekly for over a year. Nice. That's awesome. But yeah, I just got tired of my own bullshit. Nice. Do you see them in person or do you see them virtually? Um, so we were in person until about April and we've been virtual since April. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. I have three questions. One of them will be very difficult. So do you want the difficult one first or do you want the two easies? Yeah. Difficult. Have you ever thought about suicide and did you ever talk to anybody about it if you had? Absolutely. And no, I did not. Um, there's... Okay, one of the aspects of my depression is I uh, self-sabotage. Mm -hmm. So, and I think I'm, and this is one of the things that I'm slowly starting to find out about myself, is I think that it's unhealthy and it's really manipulative, but 
I have started to kind of think that like, if I'm suffering enough, somebody will notice Mm -hmm. and they'll save me and they'll want to help me and they'll want to love me. Like I want to love everybody else. People just don't know that I'm struggling. That's why. And so they just need to know and then they'll want to love me. Right. So it's almost like an attention seeking type of mentality. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Yeah. We're toxic, not, not healthy, but I have definitely had moments where I'm like, you know, like so-and-so would really regret. So like my sister, for example, you know, um, she's going to really regret this if I die, Mm -hmm. man, if I died, you'd really regret this. And then there's a part of me that like kind of is revengeful. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I hope I do. I hope I do die just so you have to live with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's so there's an aspect of like the suicidal thoughts that I don't is never actually that I want to die or that I think that I am going to be making someone else's life better, which I think is true suicide. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's true suicidal mentality. Yeah. My mentality of like, oh, if I died, you'd feel bad. It's almost like more for attention. And so that's. Yeah that glimmer of a thought and then I'm like Jesus well if you're dead you'd never get any attention so that's dumb like yeah past it so um but uh I lost a family member to suicide so it's something that I genuinely could never bring myself to actually do even if I was genuinely suicidal so that's interesting because Paul also lost a family that he family member that he was very close to his aunt um to suicide when he was like 18 and um so he same same kind of thing. He would never think about actually killing himself. He would never think of a plan. But I'm asking I want to ask that question of anybody that talks about the mental health stuff because yeah. it will help to hopefully normalize yeah. some of what people are thinking by talking about it and being like, Oh my god, I'm not the only one that's ever thought, Well, if I just died, you'd be you'd be sorry. No, you're not. You're not alone. I think that on the regular good to also point out that there's different reasonings or different like thought processes that go into the thought of suicide yeah because I know I can say for myself that I have thought and considered suicide but it's for multiple different reasons yeah the first time I seriously considered suicide it was when I was extremely religious and I was just telling myself you know what everybody keeps like they don't like how I'm religious. A lot of my friends, they didn't understand. And I'm like, well, what better way of proving if it's right or wrong than just dying? Like, I'll just, I will kill myself and I will see if I go to hell. No, and I think that's important, though, is that being suicidal is not necessarily means that you are the typical type of person where you have extreme depression or uh, crippling depression or that something bad is going in your life. No, like, right. It's not all the 13 reasons why or whatever right. that show is where it's like everything spiraling out of control and right. I'm crying every day and I'm in tears and like everything's going wrong and I'm just going to go in my bathtub and cry and slit my wrist. That's for some people. Yes, that is true. But there's like a lot of people have fleeting moments of thinking about killing themselves or, and really trying to normalize, like, why is that happening? Like, let's talk about that. Like what's going on through our heads. Is it something internal? Are we super anxious? Are we, you know, whatever. Right. Um, so thank you for sharing. You've been working in a corporate environment for your entire adult life, essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. 
what is the impact from your mental health and your mental health things, struggles that you go through on your work life? Do you talk about it? Um, it's the corporate environment that I work in is um, pretty cutthroat. <laughs> so it's, um, it's, you know, it's a customer service industry and it, you know, it just, people are mean. People are mean in my industry and they assume that you're out to get them and that you're just shady all the time. Yeah. And so you are constantly fighting people to prove that you aren't that. And I think that that fed a lot of because I got in this industry at so at such a young age. I was 20. Yeah. Um it started to kind of shape and form my overall defensiveness as a person and why I constantly feel like I'm having to prove things to people and, you know, prove to them that I'm worthy and that I'm trustworthy and no, I'm not out to get you or, you know, to gain their trust. I'm constantly having to prove to people and fight with people and fix their problems. And so it just gets heavy because it's so negative all mm-hmm. the time. You know, nobody ever, yeah, nobody ever like really, it, this isn't my industry, but you think about like your, your mortgage broker or your loan officer or something, you know, like you scream and yell at them when your mortgage is high, but you don't ever really call and thank them because your mortgage is low. Or I should call mine. You know, a decade yeah. ago when you wrote that for me, I really appreciate it because I'm loving my home. Like, I, but that's a really good point. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's a lot of industries where we attack them if they're not doing what we want, but we never really go above and beyond to thank them when they do what we want. So it's just, it's a very negative, like you're just constantly getting pounded with negativity always. And so you have to find a way to not, to to disconnect. So mm-hmm. to let leave work at work. It's definitely not an industry that I plan on being in long term because it's not conducive to my mental health. Um, I'm not a corporate America person. Like, I'm just not. I say fuck too much. I'm like, I'm too type A. I'm too controlling. And I want to be far too successful. And so to answer your question, I don't talk to my manager about it. um, Because According to my manager and based off of all the, you know, the standards and everything, I'm exceeding. I'm doing really well at my job. But, you know, if it's not a hundreds, all you know this, if it's not a hundreds all across the board, I'm not cool with 99. Yeah. I understand the goal is 87. Right. Okay? I want a hundred. So right. <laughs> you should want me to want a hundred as well. And if I'm coming to you saying, Hey, how can I get this up a percentage telling me, well, you're already greatly exceeding. You don't need any extra help. Like that's, that's the mentality that a lot of people have in corporate America is, well, you're already above average. So you're not worth my time. Right. And that's pretty much where I am in corporate America is because I'm good at my job. I, you don't get attention. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how you're doing as long as you're still doing your job. Yeah. Okay. And then my last question is, what do you hope that people will get from you from listening to our conversation will learn or will feel better about? What are you hoping from this? I hope that people will find at least one person in their life to, um, you know, we've all got, we've all got barricades and walls up 
um, you know, to find one person in their life that they're maybe willing to just like unlock the door for. And um, you don't have to open the door. You don't have to like let them in. You don't have to let all your guard down and, you know, put all your vulnerabilities and all your insecurities out there. But, um, you know, it it is important to find somebody that you can be yourself with and that you can have those low moments with and still feel comfortable and still feel safe because holding it in will not it will not end well it does it will not end well period Mm -hmm. story like nothing has ever survived from being overfilled yeah 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 overfilled it pops like a ship gets overfilled like covid i don't know you know (laughs) dysentery everybody's dying right black plague like i don't know i don't know yeah, so it's it's um it's important to find somebody that you feel safe with that you can talk to, and it's not something that you want to unload um on people. You it's it's a slow conversation, and it's okay for it to be a slow conversation. So more so, just so that somebody will talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Period. Even if it's not because I'm suicidal, even if it's just, hey, I'm having a shit day, and I just don't want to hold it in, like. Eventually, I'm having an awesome day. And I also want to talk about that because I feel like we need to have the balance. And sometimes it's hard to recognize the good things that are going on because they can be overshadowed by the bad, the bad things. Yeah. Yeah. And to also on the flip side, for people to think about those that support them. Yeah. And to, you know, because we've got a lot of people that we call when shit is bad. Right. And then we've got other people that we call when shit is good. Yeah. And people, those people are rarely ever the same people. Mm-hmm. So whenever you have one person in your life that's only getting the negative, only getting the negative, and then another person that's only getting the positive, there's like a genuine disconnect in your life. And eventually this person's going to get fucking tired of it. Yeah. And they're not going to want to just be your punching bag in your dumping ground. And then eventually this person's going to just be so detached that they don't even know who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And so this is what I've created in my life. And this is what I don't want anybody to have. Mm-hmm. So it's important to recognize this person and to give them good info too. And to also give this person bad info from time to time and to not compartmentalize everything. Yep. I love it. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time, Ashley. We love you. And you feel free to reach out to us with anything that you ever want to talk about because yeah. we would love to be those people for you as well and support you through this crazy adventure called life. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of Pursuing Your Patronus and that it made you think a little bit about mental health and pursuing your own happiness and finding your ultimate Patronus. Make sure to stick with us here and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all those social media sites. And if you're enjoying your Pursuing Your Patronus podcast with us, you may also want to think about checking out our Loot the Booty series and also where we nerd out on YouTube. Expecto Patronum! Mounting every day, and that one life, and that 